As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This episode of the Bear Sock Underground is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Tons of people take a multivitamin, and it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adoptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients helps to support gut health, the nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, focus, and aging. It's lifestyle-friendly, adapting to a wide range of diets, and it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals, or artificial anything. Plus, it costs less than $3 a day. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially during cold and flu season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash sports drink. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash sports drink to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. <laughs> this episode of the Bear Stock Underground is also brought to you by ColorCast. Guys, ColorCast is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and to use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time, and it's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. All you need to do is download the ColorCast app free in the iOS uh, app store, create a profile, and link your Twitter and join a group. Follow me at BTU Larry to be I, to be notified when my room goes live, and we'll be going live on ColorCast every Friday night, seven PM Central, eight o'clock Eastern. Come and join the spiciest takes. Come find the new home for Club Thirty Four Seven. What's up, guys, and welcome to the e- official kickoff to the twenty twenty two campaign, uh, the sixteenth season. Of the Bears Talk Underground started the show way back in 2007, uh, the year after the Bears made their Super Bowl appearance uh, in Super Bowl 41. Uh, so I have officially been jinxing the team from going back to the Super Bowl since I started the Chicago Bears review back in 2007. So if you're looking for a reason, it's not the McCaskies or Phil Emery and Jerry Angelo and uh, you know, Ryan Pace and, and Nagy and Fox and all of their blunders over the past 15 seasons. It's because I started a podcast dedicated to our beloved Chicago Bears that we haven't been able to return to the big game. So, uh, yeah, it's on me. I apologize. But, um, you know, and with this, with this new uh, season, we're going to uh, try something uh, brand new. And, I, you know, we, we, I've talked about it with you guys before and um you know we finally put it into uh practice um and this is a little little something a series i'm gonna call the retro rewind 
where uh, myself and a guest will look back on an important game from from years past uh, for our beloved Chicago Bears. And just a heads up, as this series goes through, the Bears are not going to be the winners of all these games. I'm just letting you know because some of the games that I have uh, in mind that I want to do episodes for, the Bears came out on the wrong end. But it was an exciting, memorable game nonetheless. And, uh, you know, they're games that I want to talk about. But to start things off, though, I decided to do a game that had wide-ranging repercussions um, in, a, in a matchup between the Bears and the Packers uh, in 1986. Week number 12, the 9-2 defending world champion Chicago Bears were at home against the 2-9 uh, Green Bay Packers. And the impact of this game was felt uh, well into the uh, postseason and actually... Uh, beyond, it was actually probably one of the major contributing facts. The reason the why reason why the Bears never returned uh, to the Super Bowl after Super Bowl twenty during the Ditka years. And my guest helping me out with that is former eighty five Bear Emery Moorhead, who played in the very game that we're going to be talking about. And uh, although the Bears did come away with the victory to improve and to improve to ten and two on their way to a fourteen and two record. Um, the uh, the fact that um, you know this was the game where McMahon um, you know re-injured that shoulder, uh, he was lost for the season afterwards, and therefore he could not quarterback the Bears back to the Super Bowl, and it was something that was sorely lacking in the playoff loss to the Redskins in the divisional round when the World Champions were sent home early uh, that year. So we talked to Emery about the game uh, and and actually what the Bears Packers rivalry was like during the Ditka era, and especially when Forrest Gregg was the head coach uh, of the Green Bay Packers. They had a personal dislike for each other, and that translated into their teams having a deep dislike for each other uh, as well. But the thing that um, that I really respected when I went back and watched the game, you can find it on YouTube, um, was that despite the fact that the Bears were leaps and bounds better than the Packers, um, they were a better football team and, uh, you know, nine and two versus two and nine. I mean, the seven game difference uh, between the two, the Packers didn't care. The Packers came at the Bears like, you know, like they were both nine and two or, you know, they both were zero and zero. Throw the record books out kind of thing. They came at the Bears with all the piss and vinegar, uh, you know, uh, worthy of the rivalry. And it's something that I actually wish we could see out of our guys now. Maybe that's something that will change under uh, Eberflus uh, and company, and uh, you know, bring a bring a, a different vigor and uh, uh, intensity uh, to the team. I believe that is one of the eyes, you know, one of, in his hits uh, philosophy. I believe I is intensity, um, but um, you know, it, it, you really respect the way that the Packers played and went at the Bears, regardless of the fact that the Bears were a much better football team. Uh, and everything, but this was a crazy, crazy football game. Uh, I recommend, uh, you know, highly that you watch it. Uh, if you find it on YouTube, just search Bears Packers 1986 and it will come up. The game is actually split up into two, uh, two videos, one for the first half and another for the second. Um, it's a fun watch. Just be, you see the intensity of the football game, the back and forth and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. You get to watch the defense do their thing. Uh, myself and Emery, we talk about that quite a bit. Uh, you know, just how impressive and how, you know, ferocious that defense was. And, uh, 
uh, and everything else. It was a very fun conversation that I had with uh, Emery. And trust me, after after today, I'm definitely going to be trying to dig up another uh, game or two for Emery and I to uh, talk about. It's just too much fun uh, picking his brain for what it was like uh, back then and the circumstances surrounding the game and uh, and everything else. So just a really, really fun conversation uh, you know, talking about this game and what the Bears Packers rivalry was like uh, during the Ditka years, and um, you know the, the wide-ranging uh, effect that this football game had on the Bears in '86 and beyond. So, um, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in. This is the first retro rewind episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the- So we're trying something a little different, uh, doing a little retro rewind thing, kind of going back and looking at other uh, significant games in, in Bears history. And I thought that this one um, would be, uh, you know, a good way to kick things off. We're going to do Bears Packers Week 12, 1986, and it's infamous for Jim McMahon. Um, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. But who else should I have for this particular episode but someone who actually played in that game, our good friend, former 85 Bayer, one of the greats, should have been on the top 100 list, Emery Moorhead. Emery, welcome back to the show, man. Thank you, Larry. Pleasure to be here again. So, Emery, this this game is, is infamous. Uh, in the second quarter uh, of the ball game, a very tight contest between Bears-Packers, as they always seem to be. Uh, especially during that time. Uh, Charles Martin, a nose tackle for the Packers. Uh, Jim McMahon throws an interception. And while the, the play is unfolding in front of them, he, from behind, grabs McMahon around the waist and slams him down on turf. Now, normally that would be egregious enough, but it also, at the time, McMahon was battling a shoulder injury that he had been bugging him pretty much since week one, from what I was reading uh, yesterday. And it just made matters worse. And then uh, he ended up finishing the game. That was the part I did not remember. I thought McMahon was finished from that hit. He played into the fourth quarter. but Yeah, and then finally brought Tom back in. Right. And then uh, he, but McMahon had surgery uh, about a, a few weeks later and was done for the season, therefore wasn't able to quarterback the Bears back to the Super Bowl. So I just wanted to, to have you want to talk about this this game um, because watching um, like old 85 games and watching these games here in, in, in 86, uh, you could th- literally throw the records out when the Bears and Packers got together because it was going to be a tight game no matter what the rosters were compiled. Yeah, Packers and the Bears, of course, the oldest robbery in the NFL. But what made this whole thing interesting in the 80s was that Mike Dicka and Forrest Gregg yeah. were a- in their day, when they were playing in the 60s, and, of course, you're talking uh, George Hallis and Vince Lombardi as well. And so they brought that rivalry back alive uh, full go in the 80s because they did not like each other at all. And yeah. uh, consequently, all our Packer-Bear games during that era, uh, you, throw, you throw the records out the window, and it's not going to be a barn burner. It's going to be an NFC Central uh, defensive match, yeah. pretty much. I mean, and that's exactly what this was. 
it was it was sloppy at times. There were turnovers and uh, and things like that. But more than anything, there was chippiness. Literally from the beginning, I have here in my notes fourth play of the game. Willie Gall is getting chippy with Stills. Then my next line is <laughs> Mossy K jawing with Bears sideline after mixing it up with Galt on the following play. So he's standing there as you know you guys break formation, jawing it up with the sideline while the offense is coming up to the line of scrimmage and that was just the tip of the iceberg in this game yeah this game if if i uh well it's just you know let me regress to the year before when we played the packers yeah and uh that was it was at home as well and uh it was one of those games similar to this game in that uh there was an incident where uh walter was uh pushed out of bounds on the sidelines over their bench i mean way out of bounds same play that was uh, on that play. Uh, I had cut a defensive lineman on an angle block, and he just looked at me on the ground and jumped up and put all spikes on both his feet in my back. Wow. Uh, it was another play when uh, uh, Matt Tui was kind of standing around like McMahon was, and then he got a cheap shot from Kenny Steele. Mm. And, uh, I remember after that game talking uh, to a friend of mine that I played college football with, Mike McCord. He was a little Mike McCord, not the big Mike McCord from Notre Dame that played for the Packers at that time. Uh, this was the defensive back, and he said, and he was hurt, and he said, I said, man, what's going on? He said, Forrest Gregg told his players, I don't care if you win or lose. He says, I'm going to back you up for whatever you do out there. And so that kind of set the stage for all the craziness that went on. Uh, and while he was coaching there and Dicker was coaching there. Yeah. And as you mentioned, uh, the Packers were not very good at that period. But I tell you what, man, there were some, you know, 12, 10 games, 10, 9 games. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, when you played the Packers, I don't care if they were on a 10 game losing streak. Yeah. They were coming. There. So, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a great rivalry. And, you know, it's kind of the way they, football was played back then yeah it was uh there was a definite vibe in the game for sure I mean you could see you know the guys mixing it up on special team like it didn't matter if if the other guy if there was somebody was wearing the other uniform you were in his face you had something to say referees were separating uh each other over uh, over and over again guys talking to each other across the line of scrim I can only imagine what guys like Otis Wilson and Wilbur Marshall and Samurai were saying to the offense on the other side between plays uh and things like that so I mean it's it was definitely despite the fact that it was a 12-10 game it was a lot of fun to watch because you could just feel the emotion between the the two teams. It really mattered to both teams who won this game. It, it, it did, and uh, when you sent me the uh, first and second half of that game, mm-hmm. a couple things stood out. Uh, you know, you forget how awesome and great Bears defense oh, was, man. That's, so, <laughs> man. <laughs> they were so good, and oh. man, it, at, at Randy Wright, the quarterback, you know, he was in trouble from. From, from the moment he stepped on the field. I mean, that defense was so good. They put a lot of pressure. I think they had six or seven sacks that game. Yeah. And uh, Marshall was outstanding. Hampton and McMichael and Dent. I mean, they were just, they were all over the place. Yeah, McMahon, yeah. or excuse me, uh, Hampton had three and a half yeah. sacks and a safety in this game. Yeah, and he, had, he had almost got an interception. Yeah, uh, <laughs> hit him right know, in the so face. 
Yeah, it, it was just like a, you know, they were just everywhere. Hampton was, was, was everywhere. And then the other strange thing that was in that game was that Jerry Martwright was the head referee. Mm-hmm. And he, he was from Skokie, and usually they don't let those guys, you live live in a town. You don't usually referee. Yeah, you know the the team's hometown, and and then to be in the Bears Packers rivalry, right? Yeah, I thought that was very strange. But I also noticed what a great job he did separating people and keeping uh, keeping it at least reasonably right. Uh, so uh, that was that was something else. Uh, I couldn't believe he did that game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I was um, when the uh, when the pandemic first started, I began working from home, so I would have my TV on in the background just to kind of have some noise. And I started finding the '85 Bear games on YouTube, and the first one that I happened to watch was the uh, rematch with the 49ers in '85 when you guys went to Candlestick, uh, yeah. week yeah. six, and uh, that's where I was. I mean, you, you mentioned the defense and how good they were. Emory, I was blown away by the defense and how they handled Montana and uh, uh, rookie Jerry Rice and Roger Craig and, and all those guys. I mean, just oh, absolutely decimated the defending world champions in their home, a home stadium. Like, they just never – the 26 to 10 was the final score. It was not that close. I mean, the, Montana got sacked seven times, but they must have hit him at least 20 – other times, he was literally pulling himself off the ground after every play. Well, you know, the year before we lost in the uh, championship game right. uh, to the Packers. I mean, to the Forty Nine ers, twenty three to nothing mm-hmm. in Kansas. And uh, you know that just let us know how far we needed to go if we wanted to get to the Super Bowl the next year. So yeah, they were uh, they were really. Uh, you know, pretty confident in themselves. In fact, the year before when we lost in the championship game, the fans was like, and the and the forty uh, ers were like, "Bring your offense next year, right. bring your," you know. So uh, yeah, they put a little little needle in it, and uh, we knew we had to beat the forty ers to get there. Yeah. So the uh, Bears were ready to play that game. Yeah, two things I remember about that game, just just regular memory being a seven-year-old. Number one, that Sweetness had a great game, uh, scored a touchdown, a really, really tough one. Hard play. Yeah. Hard If I think he might have only had about 113 yards. Yeah. But uh, they were out to stop him. I mean, they knew, stop Walter Payton. You're going to make him, make him pass and beat you. Yeah. But uh was ready. He fought hard, man. He fought hard that game. Yeah. Wherever and the, y'all. The other thing that I remembered was McMahon, or excuse me, Ditka exacting revenge on Bill Walsh by putting the fridge in the backfield uh, yeah, at was, the end of the yeah. game because uh, Walsh has put Guy McIntyre in the backfield in the NFC okay. Championship game. Yeah, that was uh, Ditka had his own surprise. Yes, that year. Yeah, and I think that's the debut of uh, yeah. Fridge in the back. A, a legend was born that day. A legend uh, was born, and then uh, later on. Uh, that's when they put uh, when Fridge. I think it was in '86. Might have been in '87 when uh, Fridge caught the touchdown pass on the Packers. That was '85, so, actually. That was '85. Yeah. Right. Okay. '85, yeah. and uh, <laughs> he went in motion and everything. Yeah, he went in motion, caught the touchdown pass <laughs> on the Monday night game, and then we came back to Soldier's Field and uh, for the rematch. 
And then Fitz faked like he was going uh, to blast him on the block, and then he, that's when he slipped in for the touchdown, yeah. right? Yeah. When he slipped in for the touchdown. Because the first <laughs> game, he absolutely annihilated uh, George Cumbie. And uh, so when he had the rematch, he came in like he was going to blast him again on the lead block, and then he tippy-toed behind him and caught a touchdown pass. You know? Yeah. After that, refrigerate, the refrigerettes were born, you know? <laughs> <laughs> He had his own cheerleading squad. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, in this game, uh, Fridge, uh, we get the ball down to the goal line area. The Fridge comes in and fumbled the ball. And that's where Green Bay recovered the ball, and that's what led to Hampton actually getting a sack. So the Bears were able to turn it into something. But that was kind of like the key to this game as far as like the theme was a lot of missed opportunities uh, in yeah. this game, the because the Bears had the ball deep in that territory because literally on the first play of scrimmage, Randy Wright throws an interception to Mike Richardson. So they're inside the 30-yard line. We get it down to the goal line. The fridge fumbles, so we miss that opportunity. And it was it was things like that for both teams that kept this game yeah. as close as it was all the way to the end. Uncharacteristic uh, for the Bears uh, team, especially – you know, on, on offense, we were very conservative. Well, you know, we really ran the ball quite a lot. But that first half, we had four turnovers that first half. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, it's hard to win any game when you have four turnovers. And, of course, that kept that game very tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole, and then uh, when uh, Martin, Charles Martin, slammed Jim to the ground. He was never the same. He was never the same as the Chicago Bear ever after that. No, because I did some 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 research and I was reading that, you know, even going into training camp in 87, he wasn't 100%. And uh, I think he didn't come back until like mid-season or something like that in 87. Obviously, the 87 was the strike year, so everybody missed some time uh, in 87. But, um, you know, he didn't play until like October, so it was almost a full year before he played again. And even then, he still wasn't the same after that, not to mention the Bears drafted Harbaugh in the first round in 87, still had Mike Tomczak on the team and uh, and all that kind of stuff uh, as well. So he wasn't exactly welcomed back by by Ditka when he when uh, when 87 rolled around. Well, there were a lot of, uh, I think it was, it was 86 or 87, it might have been even 84 when Jim was getting hurt, but we signed Greg Landry, uh, who at the time was, probably about 38, 39 years old, had been out of football, had been coaching because we needed somebody there. And then, of course, we ended up signing Doug Flutie along that same right. period because of uh, health issues to Jim. And so you're right, uh, 87, 88, they drafted uh, Jim Harbaugh mm-hmm. because they just needed somebody that could finish. You know, right. they couldn't, we couldn't really count uh, on Jim finishing the season because of the injuries. And uh, like I said, after Martin threw him down, I mean, he was, he was hurt. He was hurt a lot. Yeah, he, he was uh, – it was actually his first start uh, in four weeks, and the announcers mentioned that the Bears were 22-0 and 0 in his last 22 starts. Uh, so, you know, it was vital for him to be on the field. And uh, But this was a game where he really could not catch a break because, I mean, obviously the injury was to his throwing shoulder, so he was having some trouble – uh, throwing the ball, and it seemed like when when his passes weren't errant, dro- passes were being dropped, or they were being tipped at the line of scrimmage, or or something like yeah. that. Because he ended up with three interceptions of his own uh, in this game, including the one where Martin slammed him 
uh, uh, to the ground. So it was, it was really like one of those games where it was where neither offense could really get anything going. Uh, Sweetness only had 85 yards, didn't score. Actually, the offense didn't score a touchdown uh, in this game. It was a safety, a block punt for a, for, a, uh, for a touchdown, and a field goal. That was the scoring for the Bears in this game. Yeah, sometimes it's like that, man. You lean on everybody else to do their job, but you can't get it going. And, uh, man, I remember another Packers Bear game up in Green Bay uh, during that period where it was the same thing. And the only thing, I mean, it was like a 10-9 game. And in the last minute, minute and a half, McMichael uh, picked up a Green Bay fumble on like this 10-yard line and ran it on in and gave us a little space. I mean, these games were battles every yeah. year. And fortunately for us, we always managed to squeeze it out uh, until that crazy, uh, I think it was it was a year after I retired, Don McCall. Oh, the instant Mac- replay game. Yeah I, yeah, I remember, was his hand over the line or was the ball over yeah. the line? Yeah. And then they pulled him out. Uh, but up until that point, uh, Bears dominated, never. Dickon made a point when he came in. First thing he said is we had lost 10 games in a row to Minnesota. And the first thing he said, that's one thing that's going to stop. You know, we're not we're not losing to Minnesota. And he said, the other thing he said was the Green Bay Packers. He says we're going to kick their butt every year. And <laughs> he made sure of that, you know. He made sure of those two games, which is, of course, uh, when you play in the division, you have to control the division. Right. And uh, so he made sure that, uh, you know, we controlled our division and, at the time, Tampa Bay was also in the division. And so, you know, if you can go 8-0 or 7-1 in your division, get to the playoffs, then it's just a, you know, get hot and play and see what happens. And uh, he, he really broke it down to that easy as, as how you have to, what you got to do. And it's the same thing today, except mm-hmm. there's no Tampa Bay. So you only got to play six games in your division. And if you can control that, like Green Bay does today, yeah. you're in the playoffs. I mean, that's exactly what Green Bay does today. They control the division. Well, because back then in the old NFC Central, when they had the five teams that included Tampa Bay along with Detroit, Green Bay, and Minnesota, that was half the schedule were those division games. Right, you yeah. Know, that was, in a 16-game schedule, you're literally playing half your games against uh, the division rival, and now with 17 games and only three division opponents, it's, it's roughly a third uh, of your schedule. So it's not as big a chunk as it was uh, back then, but like you said, going seven and one or, or eight and zero oh in the uh, division, you know, you only had to go like maybe two and six for the rest of the schedule to make the playoffs with ten wins, and you know, you saw it happen more than once. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know that division games—they're the key. They still are today, right? So let's let's talk about the the, the moment that it, that uh, that it happened with Charles Martin. It was kind of like a um. You almost got a feeling like this. I mean, obviously, what he did, he did on purpose. But it almost felt like this was something that they were planning on doing from the beginning because Charles Martin and a few other guys on Green Bay had little towels hanging from their belts with various numbers uh, of uh, yeah. of the Bears uh, players that I guess they were targeting uh, in this game. I saw the one that Martin had. He had the numbers 9, 34, 29, 83, and 63. So Jim McMahon... Walter Payton, Dennis Gentry, Willie Galt, and then the only guy that he's facing on every single play, Jay Hilgenberg, were on his particular hit yeah. list. 
you know, that, uh, you know, at that time, there were hit lists, there were bounties, there were all that stuff that went on. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, the bears are innocent, but shoot, they had their own little pool going on defense. <laughs> you know, who was going to get the most sacks and this and that. But to me, when he grabbed McMahon, it seemed like he was in another zone. He just, yeah. He just seemed like he was just, he was just like, wasn't, wasn't right or something in his head. He just came out of nowhere and just kind of picked him up and slammed him down like five seconds after the play. Yeah. It's like, what are you thinking, man? I mean, he just, just didn't seem like that was a, a clear thought. He just like was in another zone than everybody else. Yeah. And, uh, said earlier, it, it changed McMahon's career forever. I mean, that was a tough injury that he battled for two or three years after that. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, and, and it's kind of the reason why I wanted to talk about this game. It kind of it changed the fate uh, of the Bears there in, in those years where McMahon was, was hurt or, you know, never the same after suffering that injury. I mean, he was hurt before the game started, but that kind of shoved him into the area where he needed – surgery and you know arthroscopic surgery wasn't what it is today I don't think it would be as invasive a surgery today as it was uh back then I don't think the recovery time would have been uh you know as drastic as it was uh at that time but uh you know it was something where you know we we had to go into the playoffs without uh our starting quarterback and uh we you know we had Mike Tomzak we had Doug Flutie who apparently uh Ditka was in love with uh, cause he just, he just had yeah. it in his head. Flutie was going to be the guy to get us back to the Super Bowl, And unfortunately when the Redskins came to town in the divisional round, that did not work out. Yeah. And also, uh, our backup quarterback, uh, Keith Fuller was out. Yeah. Too. So, uh, you know, when we came in with Tom Zach, you know, you're really coming in with your third string quarterback and, uh, it was just, you know, it was a position that got, that was really banged up for us. A lot, and like I said earlier, you know, Buck Flutie came in, Greg Landry came in, uh, and if you remember, I think it was in '84. That's when Jim had the lacerated kidney yeah. from the Raiders in the Raiders game. Early. Yeah, right. So uh, it was a, you know, it was a position that was kind of in flux for all of those years, two or three years in a row, because we didn't know if Jim was going to play or not, and Dicker that didn't like that. And uh, Dan Hampton actually expressed the fact that he didn't like that either uh, because we were dependent on Jim. Jim was our leader. Yeah. I mean, by far. Uh, he was the leader of the offense. And the offensive linemen loved him. Everybody, receivers loved him. Uh, he was the catalyst. And But, you know, we had Walter Payton. Yeah. And uh, Dicker was like, you know, we're going to ride this horse right here, <laughs> you know. All the way, because he, you know, when playing against Dallas, he knew Walter Payton was the best. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he wanted to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And in fact, I remember one game, we passed the ball like 22 times, and we won the game. And Dicker comes in the locker room and goes, you guys think you're a passing team now, passing off there. (laughs) It's like, passes that game. So we were not, you know, we didn't pass the ball a lot. We ran Walter a lot. And uh, and then, of course, when Neil Anderson came in after his retirement, it was the same thing. Uh, you know, he just believed in running the ball, eating up the clock, and uh, putting a great defense out on the field. And that was the formula. 
Well, it's funny you, you know, mentioned uh, Neil Anderson. 86 was Neil's rookie year. And um, I was stunned to see our first round pick uh, in 86 playing special teams uh, for the Bears. That That is something that would not happen today. There's no well, way a first round pick is playing yeah. special teams if he's not a starter. Okay, here's some crazy things also. Number one, Neil Anderson made the Pro Bowl as a special teams player in 1986. I did not know he that. I'm not surprised because he, he was all over yeah. the place in that game. Yeah, yeah, he made the Pro Bowl as a special team gunner and going down. And then in 87, when they drafted uh, Harbaugh and uh, he wasn't playing, he volunteered for special teams. Until one time he got kind of KO'd. Dick is like, get him out of there. <laughs> but uh, but uh, both of those guys played special teams uh, because they weren't in the starting lineup. And Neil was so good at it, he went to the Pro Bowl. And I think that's when everybody realized, you know, he's got to play. He's got to play. Yeah, because he went from, you know, barely seeing the field uh, as a rookie to actually splitting carries with Sweetness in 87. Um, and that was fun last year yeah it was because i when i I saw i think yeah i think he's playing fullback Mm -hmm. uh as well uh that first year or that second year he was there and i think the line realized that you know well walk is tough and he's he can run tough but neil was fast yeah he was fast he could run through there a lot quicker and walk is in his 13th year 12th year and you know, I think he realized it as well and retired at the end of 1987 year, which was another disappointing loss at home when we had, home, at, yeah, we had the home field advantage. So, mm-hmm. But uh, it sure was pl- fun playing in that period, though. I mean, we won five uh, NFC Central Divisions in a row. And uh, it was, you know, the next year uh, after 85, 86, we were, uh, fourteen and two, I think, and the next two years we were twelve and four. Those were great football teams. Yeah, and uh, it makes a lot of difference when you when you're winning and having fun than when you're losing. And Dicker brought that attitude and changed everything around. Uh, I was so grateful to be at the Bears at that point in my life. You know, especially coming from Evanston and uh, always being a Bear fan and actually be there during that period when it was. Uh, Great time to be a Bears fan and Bears player. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the the '85 team was the first team that I followed week after week. You know, being a seven year old and just watching this team dominate and win. Uh, and as a matter of fact, in '85, I never saw the Bears lose because the one yeah. the one game that that the Bears managed to lose in '85 was Monday Night Football, which was past my bedtime. So I never got to see. The, I never saw the Bears lose once in '85. <laughs> Should have had him up that night. Yeah, <laughs> we would have lost. I mean, you can, was, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can imagine my disappointment when I woke up for school the next morning. I asked my dad, you know, what the score was, and my, you know, him telling me the Bears lost. Wait, what? The Bears can lose? What are you talking about? They can't lose. Yeah. He's like, yeah, they lost. It was bad. Like, oh, wow. So yeah. this is what that it feels a, like. Yeah, yeah. It was a game that uh, you know you have to give uh, Don Shula credit. Uh, he figured out a way to get around the Bears' pass rush, and uh, we were feeling pretty good. Uh, I think we were twelve and zero at that time, yeah. or something like that. And I remember uh, somebody was hurt, and Buddy was so confident in the football ability of Wilbur Marshall, he had him trying to cover Nat Moore in the slot. 
and that got loose for a couple of touchdowns that game. And uh, it wasn't fun. I mean, we fought hard, we battled hard, but we were, uh, you know, playing on the road. And uh, they had a few things that upset our defense pretty well, and uh, we couldn't, we couldn't get the win. We just couldn't get yeah. the win. And unfortunately, uh, New England had beat uh, Miami in the playoffs. Right, so they didn't get the rematch. We, we didn't get a chance to play them again. Yeah. yeah. We chance to play them again. Well, you well, know, I've, great- I've seen that game, the, the 85 uh, Dolphins game. And, and not only were, did the Dolphins play a great game that night, but it was also one of those things where you just kind of got a vibe. It wasn't going to be the Bears night, especially on yeah. one play in particular where a twice-tipped pass by the Bears lands in, like, Mark Duper's hands or Mark Clayton's for a touchdown. No, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was uh, Matt Moore. Was it Matt Moore? Okay. Matt Moore. Yeah, it was Matt Moore. I think another one hit off Mike Hartenstein's helmet. So that might have been the one you're talking about. Yeah, because there was a throw. In, yeah, it was batted at the line of scrimmage yeah. and basically went straight up into the air. And then Gary yeah. Fensick tried to get a finger on it and actually tipped it up for the receiver to catch it, and he yeah. ran it in untouched for a touchdown. Yeah. It was like when you saw that, it was like, okay, that's what kind of night this is going to be. Everything was working right. for him. Everything was working for yeah. him. And they had the other 1970 undefeated yeah. 72 team yeah, on the sidelines. And, you know, it was just one of those games that, you know, we didn't play that bad on offense, but we just couldn't get enough to keep up. Because they were making plays and they were getting breaks. Like I said, one went off of Mike Hardenstein's helmet and tipped, and uh, and then and then uh, Matt Moore caught it crossing the field because whoever couldn't cover him crossing the field. And the scheme they had to uh, for pass protection was pretty good. They let Richard Dent come in on the outside, and then they would drop back three more steps, and then when he turned to try to get him, he sprint out to the right and catch them guys, you know, you can't cover everybody all day. And, uh, boy, it was just one of them days, man, where they figured some stuff out how to beat us. Yeah. They did. But like any good coach, we put the same plays in the next week for our offense. <laughs> so, you know, we're not afraid to, to copy something that works. Yeah, so, adaptability. Yeah. It's, it's adapt or die, especially in the NFL. Um, yeah. This episode of the Bearstock Underground is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Tons of people take a multivitamin, and it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adoptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients helps to support gut health, the nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, focus, and aging. It's lifestyle-friendly, adapting to a wide range of diets, and it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals, or artificial anything. Plus, it costs less than $3 a day. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially during cold and flu season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash sports drink. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash sports drink to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. <laughs> this episode of the Bear Underground is also brought to you by ColorCast. 
Guys, ColorCast is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and to use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time, and it's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. All you need to do is download the ColorCast app free in the iOS uh, app store, create a profile, and link your Twitter and join a group. Follow me at BTU Larry to be I, to be notified when my room goes live, and we'll be going live on Colorcast every Friday night, seven PM Central, eight o'clock Eastern. Come and join the spiciest takes. Come find the new home for Club Thirty Four Seven. So, but one thing that I did like about or that I found amusing um, for this this game uh, back in '86 was uh, there was a, they put up a graphic in the at the start of the second half and it's and it was it was two lines one line said turnovers green bay 2 chicago 4 and then directly below that it was fights started green bay 2 chicago 1 like that was a, <laughs> that was a viable stat in this game was who started yeah. how many fights uh in the first half we'll see how this thing uh tips out at the end yeah yeah cuz it was uh no love lost i mean everybody was chippy like you said right from the beginning and uh, it was just one of those. I mean, you knew going in. You knew going in. Especially after, like I said before, when I talked to my former college teammate and uh, Forrest Greg told him to do whatever you want, I got your back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that just let them right there. They don't care. They didn't care if they won or lost. They just wanted to try to beat us up and start fights, get people thrown out, that kind of stuff. And that's just the way it was during that period because, Dicka didn't like Greg, and Greg didn't like Dicka. And, uh, man, those games, like I said, they were all so close, yeah. every one of them. I don't know if it was ever like a blowout, you know, 20-point win or something like that. Those games were tough. I think the first game between the Bears and the Packers um, in 85 was a Monday night football game, famous for it being the Fridge's first touchdown and everything. The score of that game was 23-7. to I think that's about his – wide as the margin got in, in those games during that during that during that particular period. Blowouts yeah. were not uh, frequent between these two teams. No, they weren't. They were tough, hard fought NFC Central games and uh, defense was always and, and the Packers, man, I mean you gotta give them somewhat some credit because they were not a good football team at that period. They were always last in the division. Mm-hmm. But uh play the Bears, man, it was like it was their Super Bowl, man. It was like we got to beat the Bears, and somehow we kept, you know, we kept them, kept them at bay for quite a long time. And a perfect example of that, Emery, was late in that fourth quarter of that of that game. Randy Wright throws a pet, uh, touchdown pass to, is it Ed West, the tight end for the Packers? Yeah, yeah West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forty six yards, so a huge play. For them, he's just barely, you know, he's uh, right is scrambling all over the place. He just barely gets it off because he got absolutely drilled by the fridge after he throws the ball. Yeah. Uh, Dave Duerson is out of position. West makes the catch. He scores a touchdown. They celebrated on the field like they just won the game. I mean, the, there were literally people coming off the sideline to to congratulate West and uh, and all that kind of stuff. They just had taken a 10-9 to lead uh, with about seven minutes to go. Uh, in the game, but their reaction to scoring that touchdown, it was absolute jubilation, like they just won it all. Well, the Bears' defense, again, they were great. And uh, I think they had about six or seven sacks that game, Mm -hmm. plenty on Randy White. 
running game wasn't getting going. Uh, so yeah, to break out for a long touchdown like that, that, that was, that was huge. That was yeah. huge. And of course, eventually Butthead kicked the field goal. That was the difference. And as you said earlier, no touchdowns by the offense, two field goals and safety, I think. And, uh, yeah, special teams um, touchdown, a field goal and a safety. Yeah, blocked field goal, uh, punt recovered in the end zone. So it was one of them games. You just get your win, man, and be glad you got it because uh, you're going to be in the hot tub on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Speaking of yeah. which, tell me what the surface was like in Soldier Field back then because it, it just looks like it was a, a cement lot painted green. Uh, for the most part, I'm actually surprised there weren't more injuries, um, you know, in those games back in that time. Well, at that time, uh, that turf field was pretty old. And in fact, I think it was in 1988, the last year I played, uh, they turned it over to grass, finally. Mm-hmm. And uh, that type of turf that they had in there and a lot of NFL teams, I mean, there was, and if you looked at that film, you would see guys with sleeves. All yeah. along their arms and elbows, because you could get second, third degree burns on that turf. Yeah, when you start sliding on it, and uh, uh, and I've had I had them on my legs, uh, where you know you're you're wrapped up for two or three weeks trying to take care of a turf burn, right? Uh, because they were so severe. Uh, and then, luckily, the last uh, year they finally went to grass. And then shortly, you know, then it became prescription turf. And now they have this turf now with all the art, kind of an artificial turf with the little beads in the, right. uh, in there. So it's come a long way. But uh, back in the 70s and or 80s, uh, you know, prescription astral turf was, was, was what they played on. Yeah. Uh, and you could have that and then the next day have another game and, you know, college on Saturday and rock concert or whatever and still play a game. It was, you know, all you did was wash it on down with some water. Yeah. And uh, you're ready to play another game. Because so it was, it was just a, a very unforgiving surface. I mean, I, I remember a game in the, I want to say the early 90s, uh, Wendell Davis, the receiver for the Bears, former first-round right. pick at Veterans Stadium in, in Philadelphia, blew both ACLs on the same play. Uh, trying to go up for a pass and just yeah, step awkward. Yeah. That ended his career. Yeah. He never played. And, uh, you know, that turf was just the stuff we went through in that period of time, 70s and 80s, and how the game was played and, uh, you know, the roughness of it. And, you know, you could cut people at the line of scrimmage. You could kill the quarterback. You could, it was just, you know, receivers crossing the field. You know, you just, Get your head taken off. Those games were rough. Yeah, and you throw in the astral turf, and uh, just those were that. You know, people say, "Oh, that was football when it was football." Well, you know, it, it was it was rough and tough, and we're all feeling the pain right now, right, of what we did. But the game is a lot safer, and uh, you know, you might not like it, but uh, for the players, it's a lot better. I mean, it's a lot better. The protection yeah. they get, uh, you know, as last night Tom Brady came back to play another year. <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. sure he had a meeting with Roger Goodell and said, "Are you going to protect me or not?" Because yeah. they got a lot that game in the championship. They just killed him like the old time days. He used to play and get hit the quarterback. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, immediately retired after that game, realizing the protection wasn't going to be there. So I really, truly believe he talked to Roger Goodell and they're going to give him protection because he, he, uh, he, he wouldn't have never lasted. He wouldn't be playing the 44 if he played in the 80s for sure. Right. Oh, no, not at all. The, the beating yeah. he would have taken. One thing that I wanted yeah. to ask you about was that I saw you do this a few times uh, during the game was you'd be, um, you know, in the formation, say, going from uh, right to left. You'd line up on the right side, you'd motion to the left, and then at the snap of the ball, you would actually become like a uh, almost like a guard cutting into the to the inside and, like, taking out yeah. a defensive tackle. Was that something that you did a lot? Because I don't think that I've seen you do that in other games that I've watched. Well, Dicker was big on the wham block going in half motion, snapping the ball and, uh, you know, hitting that nose tackle. Jay stand him up, which you can't do today. Yeah. But Jay would stand him up and I'd come in there. I had to block down. He was, he was a tight end himself. So, you know, he wanted to, you know, he wanted bigger, stronger tight ends than myself. But, you know, I tried, I tried harder than the other guys and, uh, were getting away. And, you know, I saw a couple of good wham blocks in there. I also saw one, saw one where early in the game where I completely whiffed the guy. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this was, uh, and, and this was the thing about the Bears back then. When the early 90s, before Dicker got there, there was no going in motion. There was no whole lot of shifting. And when he came from Dallas and brought all that shifting in motion, it was like a brand-new offense that the fans got excited by, the players got excited about. Uh, I mean, we were finally coming into the modern-day football of shifting and uh, going in motion because we didn't do that before. Mm -hmm. I was there here before uh, under uh, Neil Armstrong, and our offense was so basic. That's why the Bears were so bad because yeah. there was no there was no uh, tricker. They lined up and they just tried to run the ball, and uh, it was no deception or anything. So I brought a brand-new type of offense that uh, – really uh, brought us up to an, another level. And then, of course, uh, the defense, uh, Buddy Ryan ended up staying. Right. The whole defensive staff. So they were already knew what they were doing. And by the time we came with the new offense, and I moved in from wide receiver to tight end. And uh, because the year before, the three tight ends combined had 10 catches uh, <laughs> between all three of them. And I knew I'm like, well, I might not be able to block, but it's good. But uh, turned out I was a better blocker than the other ones. And uh, but I knew I'd be able to catch ten passes. I thought I could catch ten passes. Yeah. So we actually got a threat for the first time at tight end in a long time. Uh, and then the next year, '83, they drafted Willie Golf, and Dennis McKinnon came in as a free agent, and that really uh, set the table. In fact, that '83 draft was responsible for so much yeah. of our it's, Super Bowl team. It's insane. Uh, it is insane. And uh, and you also remember in this 86 game, Dennis was out for the whole year. He, he was out for the whole year. Yeah, McKinnon uh, wasn't there, yeah. He wasn't there, yeah. And that uh, made it a little bit tougher on everybody, too. So, yeah, because it was like I, I was looking at the lineups and, uh, you know, the lineup cards, and it was like, from the 85 offense to the 86 game that we were watching, the only person missing was McKinnon because it was Keith yeah. Ortigo was the other starting wide receiver opposite uh, Willie Galt instead of 
uh, Dennis McKinnon. And then on defense, everybody was back except uh, uh, Leslie Frazier, who uh, it was Vesty Jackson was playing in his in his spot opposite Mike right. Richardson. He tore up his knee in the Super Bowl right. ball church. And uh, also, which I didn't realize, uh, Todd Bell and uh, Al Harris were actually on that team in 86. Yeah. <laughs> Both played on special teams. I thought they got traded after because uh, they both held out in 85 right and I thought they got traded to Philadelphia that year before the season started and uh, it must have been either they got traded later in the year or they got traded the next year uh, to Philadelphia to reunite with Buddy Ryan mm-hmm. so it was a lot I mean looking at that game there was so much I, I was like and you know here's another thing too Larry those uniforms, man, they, that's the Bears right there. Yeah. Uh, rich in uniforms and, you know, paramilitary uniforms and 1920 uniforms and, you know, all the <laughs> mixture of 30s. I'm like, that's the Bears right there, man. And those uniforms in the 80s were the same uniforms in the 60s. And, the, you know, it's just that traditional Chicago Bear right there. But I miss those uniforms. Yeah, I, um, I am not a fan of the, uh, Orange jerseys that yeah, they, they make the Bears. Yeah, they are yeah. Uh, they are awful. And my listeners like to make fun of me. Uh, they like to to bug me. They like on uh, my Facebook group uh, for the show. They always like to uh, like when they get new jerseys. Like, hey, I got an orange Khalil Mack jersey. It's like, oh yeah, burn that immediately because that's awful. Yeah, um, yeah, the orange. I'm a big of a fan of that. Yeah, I was like, I'm a fan of the Chicago Bears, not the Chicago Pumpkins. You can keep those uniforms, which is, which is ironic for you and I, Emery, because we went to high school where our home jerseys were orange. But, um, you know, it, it's funny that I see my the Bears wearing orange and it just doesn't work. But, you know, it's like our ensemble work because we had orange helmets to go with our orange uh, jerseys uh, and everything. It's just something about the Bears wearing it and the white numbers with the dark. I don't, I, it just it doesn't look good. I don't like it at all. Yeah. We were I, either white jerseys or, or, or blue, dark blue jerseys. That right. was it. You know, yeah, that was where do you stand yeah. on the uh, on the dark pants? Because I know that when you started, it was white on white for the road, and the dark pants came later. Yeah, I didn't mind the dark the dark pants, uh, but you know all the different combinations. In fact, uh, I remember talking to Tom Fair, and he's like, "You know, we wear these jerseys on the road, and the white ones, you know, the dark ones at home." I'm like, "Dude, I just put on whatever is in the locker." <laughs> you know, I didn't even know how they were doing it, and apparently, I guess the home team can choose whatever, whatever, whatever jersey they want. But for me, it was like you know, I was so focused in the in the in the moment that I never realized the whole time I played that there were you know different what white on the road, I think, and, or white at home, or however they did it. I just I just put on the jersey, man. I didn't care. But now there's so many jerseys, and especially in college, oh, you gotta it's know. ridiculous in college. You gotta know. Yeah, you have to know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's 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 annoying to me that when I watch college football games, depending on who it is, I need to I need to look at the uh, the little score graphic to find out who it is that's playing. It was like, who is this? It's like this, you know, like what? Because they're wearing their their sixth alternate jersey because it's week ten or something like that, as opposed to the right. Like trying to keep up with the University of Oregon 
because yeah. you know Nike is owned you know by an Oregon and Oregon alum. Yeah, they have they play twelve games. They got eleven. They got twelve different uniforms that they play in, yeah. home or away. It doesn't matter. No, and a lot of a lot of kids they put a lot of uh, weight in you know stuff like jerseys and switching jerseys and all that. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's a little different than it is, but that's what keeps this interest, I guess, for some people in college football and even pro football, for that matter. Because we'll go to the throwback jerseys, and then they play the military week, and uh, <laughs> sometimes the helmets are all crazy-looking colors, too, now. Yeah. So it's hard to pick out who's who. You're right. And a couple more things before I let you go, Emery. The, um, this particular game, unfortunately, was not a big statistical game for you. You officially had one catch for two yards. Uh, you had a shot at a touchdown, but the throw was a little bit behind you, and it got picked off. Uh, it would have been a touchdown. You were open, and it the the throw was just a little behind. It got picked off. Yeah. But the the announcers mentioned after you made your one catch that the previous week against Atlanta, you had an eighty five yard reception. What they happened did. there? It was uh, it was the longest play in the in the NFC that year. Yeah. And uh, what happened was we're coming out at halftime, and the first play we're running double seam. Outside receivers are running the scene, tight ends running the scene, and the halfback on the other side is running up the middle of the field. And uh, I, uh, I, it, Tom Zach threw me the ball, and uh, I caught it. And uh, for, unfortunately, I wasn't quite loose enough. Uh, I didn't really stretch that well at coming out of the half. Uh-huh. And I ran all the way down and got dragged down on like a one yard line. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I didn't score a touchdown, <laughs> but uh, I had broke a tackle right when I caught the ball in the scene and tried to angle it back to the corner, and uh, the off safety came over and caught me on the one-yard line. But it was the longest pass play, and I think Mark Duper had tied it uh, at 86 <laughs> yards, and uh, that was uh, that was something else, man. Yeah. I never forget that was the largest play in the NFL that year. Because when I was looking at the stats for the 86 team, that reception of yours was the largest one by a lot. Uh, I think yeah. maybe I think someone had like a 40-yard reception, but other than that, that 85-yarder was, was all by itself as far as huge plays by the Bears offense that year. Yeah, yeah. and I always tell everybody, that guy that caught me ran 4-3-40. He was pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> I was chugging along, and then I remember on the 10-yard line, I started with the stiff arm, crumpling him back, 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 back. And then he finally got hold of my arm and dragged it down on the line. Great play, though. Yeah, Tom Zach hit the first play of the half. It was the first play nice. of the half. Uh, yeah. And then finally, when I was um, – I heard the announcers mention it, so I looked it up just to make sure. Um, this game was the day after Mike Tyson beat Trevor Burbick for his first heavyweight title. This game okay. was November 23rd of 86, November 22nd, the night before, either in Atlantic City or Vegas, one of the two, a 20-year-old Mike Tyson knocked out Trevor Burbick in the second round to win the WBC championship, his first one, to become the youngest well, heavyweight champ of all time. Well, I tell you what, if Trevor Burbick made it to the second round, he was very, he was one of the few <laughs> in the second round. Because at that time, Mike Tyson was a, a he was the most fierce fighter oh, ever. Yeah. Yeah, I remember he knocked out uh, uh, what's his name, Spinks. Yeah, Michael Spinks. Ninety-one like, seconds. Yeah, it was something, man. It was sad, and then 
everybody he played, man, he didn't give him much time to think about nothing. And that, of course, is where he famously says, everybody got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right. And, uh, that was Mike Tyson, man. He was just a, he was something else, man. Nobody wanted to get in there with him, man. He was, he was scary. Yeah. And then, of course, it was Leon that actually beat him. Michael Spink's brother, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Leon? No, no, no. It was um, Buster Douglas that beat Buster Tyson. Douglas in Tokyo. Tokyo, yeah. Japan. Yeah, no, where Leon he was like a forty-two to one, you know, uh, underdog yeah. in that fight. Yeah, yeah. So Leon beat Muhammad Ali. That's it. Yeah, that's yeah. who Leon beat. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Buster Douglas in Tokyo, and nobody was even awake. Right. You know, it was in the middle of the morning, and you wake up and like, who, who, Buster Douglas? You know, being, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was it was Tyson was was just, and that was the beginning. Was the night before this game that we're talking about was him winning his first uh, first title, and then he just went on that yeah. rampage until he ran into Buster Douglas. And a lot of that was Tyson's fault. He didn't prepare for that fight the way he should have. And, I mean, that's right. that's docu- – they did a 30 for 30 on it on ES, ESPN and talking about how everything, you know, what what it all meant to Douglas and, and how Tyson was just kind of phoning it in, expecting to just walk yeah. through this guy. And then the complete opposite of that is what happened uh, that well, night. Well, that's Sports, that's why sports and athletic is so great. Yeah, because you never know when it's going to be your day. Yeah, it's it's got to be ready. It's amazing. And then uh, last thing, you know, I'm you you were playing during these years, so I'm I'm sure you don't you not uh, you know I mean you're probably aware, but it was kind of uh, nostalgic for me. The announcers for this game, Tim Ryan and Johnny Morris, is like back then. I think they did their their announcers like on a regional. Basis because it seemed like every game that wasn't Madden and Summerall was was Pat Ryan and and Johnny Morris calling uh, these Bear games year after year like the one in '85 uh, in Green Bay I remember being Pat you know Tim Ryan and uh, Johnny Morris so it it kind of took me back listening to them uh, call that game to, to you know the years when I was young and and uh, you know learning about this team yeah and the Bears were so popular and that's why they you know they were on national TV a lot. Back yeah. Then. It was, oh, yeah. It was it was uh, John Madden's favorite team, and he loved the Bears. And uh, so we got to be on quite a bit on on the national TV at that time. It wasn't like it is today, where every game's on, you know, national TV somewhere. And right. You can grab every game everywhere. Uh, and then the other thing, as you look at that game, which is very strange, is the graphics. Yeah. Uh, today, today, there's so much going on. On um, every play, every kind of zoom, zam, zings, and colors, and everything—it's just like so different to look at a, just a regular broadcast. Yeah, to actually do you know? Yeah, it, there's it uh, there's no first down line. Uh, you yeah. need to uh, you need to pay attention to to find out what down and distance it was because they only flashed it on the screen uh, for a few seconds while the offense was at the line of scrimmage before the ball yeah. was snapped. You never yeah. know when the, yeah. what the score is until you're going to commercial break uh, and things like that. <laughs> we're, we're definitely spoiled uh, as football fans now. I mean, cause I remember in 94 when Fox did the, the, the score pill in the corner, how annoying that was in the beginning. Like it was just there pulling your attention. Now you can't watch a game without it. Without it. Yeah. That, that was the beginning. I mean, that was, and then the next year, I think, uh, like whoever was carrying it, CBS or NBC, they all got on board with more yeah, graphics. They did. And uh, now it just seems like that's just the way it's always been. 
So when I was looking at that game, I'm like, wow, this is just so basic, you know, compared <laughs> to what they're doing today. Yeah, production value is not what it, uh, not, nothing like it is uh, today. Yeah. They put millions uh, of dollars into these games now. Yeah, technology is alive and well. Yes, sir. You know? Yeah. Well, Emery, this was a lot of fun uh, looking back on that uh, on that old football game. And, um, oh, my goodness, I just got an alert. The Pittsburgh Steelers are signing Mitch Trubisky. Pittsburgh, yeah, that makes a good move because uh, they don't have a quarterback, and Mitch is definitely going to be starting there. Yeah. Definitely starting yeah. there. I've always was a Trubisky fan. I just thought, uh, what's his name, the coach, did I like him. He just didn't like him, I thought. And yeah. he didn't give him a chance and opportunity to develop because when he took the job, he said he can work with Mitch. And it just seemed like he never really wanted to work with Mitch. Yeah, uh, it just seems like he, he took the that. job because he wanted to be a head coach, not because he wanted to work with uh work with Trubisky. Yeah. And then as you know, as after Nagy is uh, was let go earlier. Uh, this year, of course, the stories start coming out. Like after the 2019 season, Mitch came down to meet with Nagy to talk about going forward, and Nagy no showed the meeting, and they never yeah. they never made it up uh, or anything like that. So it just uh, you know, and then they brought in Nick Foles, and and we all know what happened in 2020. So it was just uh, yeah, just a yeah, bad situation just, for for Mitch. Because uh, it was a lot of pressure the way they moved up to get him for him yeah and he certainly tried and he worked at his game and sometimes just getting in a different situation can can work wonders and i think he has the talent to be a starting quarterback and i hope he does well in pittsburgh unless yeah. they play the best right well we don't play i don't think we play the steelers again for a couple years but um yeah but um you know i think that the perspective on mitch um changed during this season when we watch the offense continue to struggle and in fact be a little bit worse than it was with Mitch at quarterback and yeah. finding out like, okay, so Nagy really was the problem. You know, Mitch, yeah. Mitch wasn't yeah. innocent in all of this, but he wasn't as big a problem as it was with Nagy. Just, you know, like this is my offense. We're running this offense. And if you can't run it, I'll find someone who can, as opposed to like you said with Ditka adapting the offense to what the team does well so to help your to put your team in the best position to succeed, that's why Nagy is unemployed. He would not adapt. He was trying to squit, uh, fit the, the square peg in the round hole all four years in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, and you have to adjust. And you see a lot of coaches adjust now. I mean, if you're going to draft a guy like they have in uh, uh, the, the running quarterback, uh, I think Justin Fields. Uh, Justin Fields, but uh, the guy in Baltimore. Uh, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, you know, if you don't adjust to your talent, you're going to get fired. Right. You know, and, you know when they spend a number one draft choice on somebody like that, you got to adjust to that guy's skill set. You can't, like, try to force your offense down his throat, make him a drop-back passer when he's a runner, uh, you know, because you're going to get fired. Everybody's going to get fired, but if you want to <laughs> get fired quicker, yeah. try to do your thing with a quarterback that cannot do your thing. You know, so that uh, that puts a lot of pressure on everybody when you're trying, like you said, forcing a round piece in a square peg. It's not going to work. So, yeah. I'm sure he does well. Yeah. So, um, so we'll see what happens with that. I mean, today is uh, when the quote unquote tampering official or the legal tampering period begins. Everything doesn't become official until 
Wednesday when the new league year starts. So we're going to start hearing about deals being agreed upon and things like that. And that's the first domino to drop. Trubisky's going to Pittsburgh and, um, you know, where he'll be protected by Najee Harris uh, running the football and, uh, you know, throwing uh, throwing when he needs to or when he has to. And, you know, I know Mike Tomlin will do is, is an outstanding, outstanding head coach. Uh, he'll do whatever he needs to to put Mitch in the best spot to, to do well. I mean, Pittsburgh has a formula, and that's their formula for years. Yeah. You know, that's their formula. And it's not risky. It's just, you know, you play great defense, you run the ball, and you pass, you know, you pass efficiently. That's, yeah. Uh, that's, that's what Mitch can do. Yeah, even in today's NFL, that still works. So yeah, uh, it's just a matter of doing it well. So yeah, yeah. So well, I appreciate the call and uh, seeing you again, hearing from you again, my ETHS ETHS alumni. Yes, sir. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to talk to you all the time, and whenever you get a chance, don't be afraid to call. Absolutely, Emery. Thank you so much uh, for for joining us, Emery Moorhead. Everybody. <laughs> This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink. Spelled like Sports Drink, but without the vowels, so... S-P-R-T-S-E-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. Man, that was fun. And I really want to thank Emery Moorhead for for coming back onto the uh, show. It was such a fantastic time uh, talking to him. He and I are both Evanston Township High School alumni. We we did go to the same uh, high school, so it, it's really cool having you know those shared roots uh, with him growing up in the same place and uh, and whatnot. And um, you know he's just a fantastic guy, and I, I love talking to him. Uh, and he just so happened to be a member of you know the the best team in the history of my favorite teams, uh, you know franchise. So it, it's um, you know really a privilege to be able to talk to him, and I and I, and I loved having that conversation. Uh, with him and I, I look forward to digging up any reason I can to do it again. Um, but you know, like I said, it was, it was a fun, uh, conversation to go back and, and talk about that time, what the rivalry was really like and how intense it was. And, you know, guys getting chippy and jawing with each other, like, like from jump, uh, and everything. And I hope it's really something that, that Eberflus and company can, you know, kind of grind into our players now that, yeah, they're the Green Bay Packers, but, you know, they put their shorts on one leg at a time, same as you. You know, they're just men. So let's go out there and, and kick their ass as opposed to just sitting there and taking their best shot one after another. So hopefully that's something that can be instilled in our guys going forward and we can, at the very least, stop getting embarrassed the way that we have. You know, the Packers have just kind of been running over the Bears uh, for the last quarter century and, and not making much of a rivalry of it. You know, they're rivals, but there's no rivalry there. You know, it is very one-sided uh, beatings one after another uh, by the Packers. There's no rivalry. Back then, even though the Bears were coming out on top, it was a rivalry. 
You know, they really were, you know, 12 to 10 for the game that we're talking about in 85. Uh, the game that Emery and I were talking about in Lambeau where uh, the fridge caught a touchdown pass and all that kind of stuff. That was 16 to 10. And that's when the Bears were 15 and one and unstoppable. Uh, you know, it, it, that's what the rivalry was like between these these two teams, they really just went at each other. You you can just forget about scoring points or or anything like that. It's it's basically about who was the last man standing. And during that time, the Bears were the last man standing more times than not. But they felt the effect of uh, playing Green Bay. You even you heard Emery say, you know, you're going to soak in the tub on Monday uh, for sure after this one. So. Uh, hopefully that's something that we will see that spark that intensity from our guys when the Bears and the Packers meet uh, in 2022. But um, you know, like this was fun, and and I look forward to the next one. I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking around uh, to see some of our former guests. I know uh, we'll I'll get in touch with Chris Gates to see when he wants to do that Minnesota game, uh, and the one that we have picked out is uh, Bears uh, Bears Vikings week I believe week eight 2008. Uh, and it's just it was one of those crazy football games. There was like 80 something points scored between two teams quarterbacked by Kyle Orton and Gus Farratt. So I was like, that's the last place you'd expect to see an 80 plus point football game take place. And it was just crazy. Uh, the back and forth. I look forward to talking to Chris about that one uh, and any other guests that I can uh, dig up for this. Uh, in the meanwhile, free agency started today and, um, you know, the Bears made a move. Signing uh, Larry Ogunjobi, defensive tackle from the Cincinnati Bengals, and a three-year deal for $40 million uh, to be our three technique. So we've got that stud in the middle uh, of, of what is going to be our brand-new 4-3 uh, setup. And, um, you know, hopefully he will, he will live up to the contract and make the impact that the Bears are signing him uh, to make. So nothing else yet. We have not signed... Uh, you know, Armstead from the from the Saints or anything like that. We've missed out on Ryan Jensen and and, and uh, Barry Allen, both re-signing with the Packers and Rams, uh, respectively. Uh, so we're still looking for an upgrade at center. Maybe that will lead us back to uh, James Daniels, or maybe we'll find someone else uh, out there uh, and everything. But so far, Ryan Poles just makes the one move, signing Ogan Joby, and uh, we'll see what happens with day number two. Because, uh, you know, the contracts were fast and furious and a lot of big money being thrown around uh, at different people. Uh, some of the wide receivers I thought the Bears might be interested in signing for huge money uh, with the other teams. Like uh, Christian Kirk signed for like $20 million a year with the Jaguars uh, today. So we'll see how that, all, how that market all shakes out and if the Bears, you know, get into that. Or if they really will, like Ryan Pohl said, you know, wait and, and do their uh, do their busy work in the second and third waves uh, of free agency. So uh, if any more big moves get made or anything like that, we'll be back to, to, to kind of do like a free agent uh, review uh, type thing. Otherwise, just stick to the social media and be, uh, excuse me, at BTU underscore Larry on Twitter and uh, Instagram. And we also have the Bearstock Underground uh, group on Facebook. So... Anyway, guys, that is going to do it. Like I said, keep your eyes on the social media for maybe Retro Rewind number two or any other episode that I might be able to put together between now and then. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bearstalk Underground.
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.